We, the members of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. My name is Dr. Robert C. Thompson, your supreme hierophant for these occult confessions, joined this day, as in all of our interview episodes, by our producia discordia, Luke Kinnaman. Luke, what's up? Hey, howdy. Yeah, it, it hasn't been very long. We're recording these fairly close together. We just met not a day ago, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, what, I don't remember what today is, so maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's been like 48 hours. Uh, so today uh, we've got a special treat for you. Uh, Luke, who's joining us this day? We have Lynn Short who is joining us. Lynn, would you like to say hi? Hello, Rob and Luke. <laughs> Hello, Lynn. Rob, Rob, Rob and Luke, not yet. <laughs> uh, Lynn is a massage therapist and ex-cult member or missionary in Spokane, Washington. Uh, she and her husband were part of the Samael Nasset Society for 17 years from 2001 through 2018. Samael Nasset can be boiled down to a compilation of occult theosophy, Catholicism, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Kabbalah. She currently spends most of her time continuing to deconstruct her religion, riding bikes, and getting back into writing poetry. Very nice, very nice. So all about the apostate today, Lynn. Yes, I am. I am that. I very much am. <laughs> I will. I will. I, I don't have a, I don't have to stomp around and, and uh, fly my middle finger in the air anymore. But yes, I am definitely a, an apostate. So now <laughs> the word cult, you're comfortable with that? I am. I am. Okay. At right. least in the generalized sense of it, I think the, you know, like the bite model from Stephen Hassan uh, is both good and also a little too, um, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know what I feel about it, honestly. Uh, mm. I think a lot of it is good, uh, but there's some lack there as well. Um, just as much of my personal opinion. Tell folks a little bit about that so they get, give them a cue in. The bite model, that is. The bite model? Uh, yeah, the bite yeah. model is about what a cult specifically is in terms of there's four specific areas of control, and that's uh, behavior, uh, information flow, um, uh, B-I-T-E-T-T, -T -T, damn it, <laughs> emotions <laughs> and some other thing. What's the T stand for? Oh, oh damn it. Uh, behavior, information, something, and emotion, emotional control. Yeah. And I am it's missing okay. the T. <laughs> yes, that's that's going to sound like I really know what I'm coming. What Folks I'm talking can about. can write in about that. I mean, the reason it's, I uh, ask about the word cult is because media has used it, of course, to yes. falsely malign some groups or incorrectly yeah. loop groups together. For sure, um, religion scholars sure. like to use the word often. Like we could refer to Christianity as a cult in the times of Jesus. So, sure, yeah, it yeah. has a lot. If of you want to, I, I kind of like. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. You're good. I'm good. I'm uh, done. <laughs> I kind of like to use the term more high control group because it's just really clear about what that is. Yeah, I like that. High control group. Yeah. yeah. So give us a little background. So Samael, this is not someone I think most folks, I don't want to offend the Samael people, but uh, not not your top shelf occultist as far as <laughs> cult history is concerned. <laughs> not an no, Aleister no, Crowley, not a Helena Blavatsky. 
no, he's definitely more obscure. And it could be that uh, it partially had to do with where he came from, because he was born in Colombia and uh, didn't migrate much further past Mexico. So I think his teaching stayed fairly localized until it came into California um, and somewhere on the East Coast from his his uh, his own missionaries kind of migrating up to save the world. So a Spanish-speaking group initially. Initially, yeah, for sure. Uh, so in Colombia is where we get it gets a yes. start. Yes, yeah. If if uh, um, so, he was born in Colombia around 1917, died around 1977. Uh, uh, so he kind of crosses over from the the late occult period, the you know late 1800s, early 1900s, the the uh, new religions that were sort of building up in in the East Coast. Uh, Sure. Of America, anyway, the United States, anyway. Um, well, the teens are the Crowley years, right? I mean, right. So yep. Still very yep. productive of time and yep. occultism. Yep. Uh, and he stated that his own teaching um, started, started, excuse me, started his own teaching um, uh, sometime in 1940s, late 40s. Um, and he referred to himself as on we or. Samael Onwior, uh, even though he was born as Victor Gomez. Um, it does have a ring to it. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Samael is the god of Mars, and so he fully awakened his the god into the god of Mars on planet Earth, apparently. I have no way of verifying that. So does that mean that he was born the god of Mars? He was a reincarnated god, or that he, he... became? Yeah, he reawakened into the reincarnation of of Samael. Okay, all right, but was he was he that all along? Like, could I reawaken into the reincarnation of Jupiter? He if was I... he was that all along, but hadn't um, awakened into it, and okay. so that's that's you know his teaching is that process of awakening. Um, into whatever the god head that you would be, and he just oh, happened so to I can be... too. I could do it. Yes, you can, you do, can, it. can do it. You probably okay. wouldn't be the avatar of Aquarius like he was. Like he's uh. not. He's extra special. Like you would be special as a god on Earth, but you wouldn't be nearly as special. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. you could still reach godhood, just not. Yes, to but his it would be caliber. a less. Yes, you would be a lesser god. Yes. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> a chthonic god, perhaps. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, that's how I like to think of myself, anyway. So yeah. he's, it is pantheistic. His religion is is multiple gods. Okay, but are there gods in heaven as well, or some other plane of being? Uh, well, there's several dimensions of heaven. Okay. And so as you awaken, you're awakening into, so the Kabbalah tree of life, each Sephira is a realm of heaven. And as you're awakening, you are, as long as you don't spill the magical cup of Hermes, you are awakening to that level of heaven. So when, and if you die, if you haven't fully awakened yourself, you at least attain immortality to that level, that Sephira level level. As far as you go, that's how much of you. Persists. Yeah. So if you, if you, I forget now the names. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, okay. The the I have I forget the names of the different sephira, but like uh, you know, uh, if you are awakening 
uh, into the, the, the next level from the material world, you're awakening into the etheric level. And so that's your level of heaven. And if you die at that point, you at least are immortal at that level of awakening, but it's not the same as if you awakened completely to Katir, Katar, depending on how you pronounce that at the top. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there are levels of attainment in that. I got in trouble with some listeners over Eliphas Levi. I was <laughs> talking about <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Sephiroth, and uh, I confused it with the Seraphim. Anyhow. Seraphim. Yep. Yeah, that is different. That <laughs> different is things. Different. Uh, yes. So we're climbing the tree of life then. Yes, yes. That is his teaching in a nutshell with flavorings of Hinduism, Buddhism, and of course all of the occult stuff. But at its core, it's this Kabbalistic pursuit. Yes, but it's it's so much more than that like okay yeah i mean tell us <laughs> that's well that's i mean oh boy so it's that is the core i guess that's the core of the teaching and the only way that you get to that is by the death of your ego and the birth of your soul which only happens uh through the sexual practice that he taught okay and then sacrificing for humanity so those are the those are the three ways in which that you climb the tree okay so yeah we're starting to leave the jews behind now yes the the jews are not part of this uh they're they're good people but they are not the chosen ones the chosen ones are the ones that follow this path so yeah there's a fascinating lore right that develops around this and it all comes straight from him victor yeah yeah his his interpretation of it certainly you know he he would claim that uh the other occultists were the the precursor for his teaching because they didn't have the authority from the white lodge to teach the sexual teaching which was the key to all of it um uh but he did because he's the avatar of aquarius you know heralding in the you know the the uh Oh, the Kali Yuga. He's heralding Ah. in the Kali Yuga and he is the avatar bringing in death and destruction to the world so that it can be born anew. Man, yeah, he is doing a lot of stuff there. That is such a complex blend of things. He is so complex. (laughs) And I, I studied really hard while I was in it. And now that the, the wheels are a little rusty, so my apology for fumbling over things. No, no, that sounds, I mean, that that's a, wow. I mean, it's just, I'm trying to keep up with all the references here. And I mean, the White Trust Lodge, me. that's a Blavatsky yep. thing. Blavatsky, though, was oh, yeah. celibate her throughout her life. And I would say reading oh, her, he she's... Oh, he said she was not. Oh, for the love. <laughs> yes. That's a bit of a hot take. <laughs> yeah, no, she was not. She had her husband and they practiced chastity, which wasn't lack of sex. That's an incorrect interpretation. The correct interpretation is is the sexual practice, doing having sex without having an orgasm. So, so he says she did that with the man that she was married yep. to for like a year and a half and then said, don't come near me. No, <laughs> not the first one. The other oh. two. The other two. I is he claiming she was married to Alcott? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that no, they, no, they were no. having a... a, a, a a perfect matrimony in in that they were having uh, sexual chastity. Ah, damn! I I'm don't not think gonna, there's I'm such thing let that as be. perfect matrimony if you're not having sex and an <laughs> orgasm. 
<laughs> I agree with you. And yet this was our lives for 17 years. So. Okay. So let's, okay. So I'm going to leave Blavatsky aside because I just can't, but. Um, There's so much. There's so, so much. So the sexual practice, let's go return to that. You, do idea. you want to, okay. Do you want to start there? Yes. Let's might as well. <laughs> or go back the, to that. That's I where don't... we're living. Yeah. So the White okay. Lodge has informed him that this is how sex is meant to go. Yes. And the reason that is true, it has to do with, okay. So. In the occult studies, I think Blavatsky, but definitely Steiner of the the ages, it's Hinduism, it's like the ages of the world, and the Lemurians and all of that. And like, they were happy being innocent, soft, non-materialistic entities. But we had to go into the material world in, in order for God to know itself. And we were told by the humanity was told by the uh, guardian angels that uh, that we needed to deepen our uh, density. And the only way we could do that was through sex. And so we said, no, as, as a humanity, we said, no, we're good. We're happy staying where we are. So they enticed us by creating the uh, Kunda, Kunda buffer, buffer organ, and we just fucked like bunnies and <laughs> created all of the suffering in the world. Uh, it is the original sin, and we got stuck there. And so the only way out is the reversal of that energy, creating the Kundalini, or or having the energy go up the Kundalini, uh, and uh, creating the soul basically through okay. the sexual practice. So, all right, now I'm confused. So there's an Augustinian premise at the heart of this. I mean, what the story you just told, that original sin and sex have something to do. I mean, fine, Augustine was a little bit uh, circumspect about this, but a lot of Christian fathers, right? I mean, this is a basic Christian premise, right? That sex and original sin are somehow united. Mm-hmm. but you're but okay so so i mean I, maybe that gets down to maybe this but is making sense because orgasm and procreation we're trying to avoid that yes okay go on <laughs> right yeah yeah it's not that sex is bad it's that how we enjoy sex is bad because all of the universe the sexual energy is the creation of all of the universe and if we are misusing or misguided in using it to deepen our uh, attachment, uh, whether it's attachment to sensation, attachments to the material world, um, we are following an incorrect path. And we are only going deeper and deeper into materiality. Materiality is bad. Uh, we have to regain our our divinity by this practice. So this hermetic, like we're, I mean, it's hermetic, right? In the emerald tablet sense but it's also like blavatsky and i mean like maybe steiner uh i'm not as familiar with steiner but that so he's putting forth the idea that we have passed the point of full materiality and we are now on the upswing back into spirituality yes okay yes and that is not an automatic process we have to participate and this is our participation by sacrificing our sense of desire and our attachment to the material realm so do we procreate? Do does the cult procreate? You can. Good. Clearly. Because <laughs> Samael, Samael himself had five kids without really explaining why. Uh. Um 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but also there was a practice in the books that was you in order to achieve an awakened child you could commit to the entire month of may being a sexless couple with having sex on one day and a singular drop of semen could come out and impregnate the woman and there's your there's your awakened child and it had to be in may because it was going to be uh, an Aquarian baby. Oh, clever. There's some rigidity to this religion. So just go with that flow that yeah. anything that I describe is that whatever the reasons are for that, I don't have answers for that because that was Samael's mind. Now, so. can I ask yes. you a question and you may not know the answer. If this happens and you do happen to impregnate your partner in May, Yes. What if your child is premature? Good question. I I don't have an answer for that one. That's There's so many one. things <laughs> that that you could ask. Well, what about this? And I I don't know. <laughs> That's We'd okay. have to go back to the source, right? Yeah, you'd have to go back to the source or meet Samael in the astral plane and ask him directly because that was uh that was an objective that we all had to meet in the astral plane. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so go on. So what? So we, so how do we? Okay. How do you live? How so, do you live? Uh, well, with the sex. So, oh boy. Um, so the sexual practice, if if you can manage it, then you're probably going to stick with this teaching. But if, for whatever reasons, it's too difficult for you, or you start having issues with it. Um, you can imagine all, you know, especially with the American culture and our weirdness around sex, um, like you can develop some pretty intense um, paranoia about it because if you have an orgasm that is worse than any other sin, then you can imagine And in his teachings, that's the way that it is. And mm. so the pressure to get it right is extreme. And, uh, originally it wasn't nearly that bad. Like we had a couple of mistakes, obviously in the beginning, but it was fine. And then somewhere in my forties, I'm 52, somewhere in my forties, my body changed and I found it almost impossible to not have an orgasm, which may be too much information, but that's, I'm happy talking about it. Uh, this is a cult confessions, Lynn, not a cult yes, se secrets. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And here I am confessing my grave, gravest sins. Yeah. Um, the problem with that is that we weren't trying to have orgasms. We were trying to do the practice the way that it's taught, which is like having sex with very little movement and very little. It's not sexy sex. It's really just like very mechanic. You're supposed to think of it in a very sort of loving but mechanical kind of way you're you can have pleasure but not too much pleasure and and it can't be a lot of movement and lots of chanting has to be involved and uh lots of prayer and lots of um you know begging your divine mother to obliviate this error that you saw that day and so on so it's not connecting with your partner in a sort of organic natural way it's very prescriptive uh, so for what are, you know, I am resisting physically. I am trying not to have this happen. Like, and it 
turns out that's really painful to do that. You know, emotionally, physically, it's really painful to try to stop that from happening. Uh, and sometimes it would just sort of like happen. It's not like, you know, usually in sex, there's a buildup and, uh, and, and then you release. And this was not that sometimes. Yeah, anyway. Um, well, I mean, it also strikes me and I don't want to, we'll get as personal as you like here, but that in this experience, yeah. like you're saying, your partner, there's so much focus on, it sounds like sin, right? You're yeah. apologizing, you're con- confessing maybe in a way you're dealing yep. with the days that your partner it's almost like your partner is there to remind you of how wrong sex is and that you should be apologizing for it is that right uh less of that it's kind of more like it, say in the in the day i'm walking around and i get angry so i have to meditate on my anger i have to evaluate it and notice it and observe it and then if we have sex that night I bring up, you know, we're, we're singing to our divine mothers and we're, we're, we're praying to her, invoking her, creating, you know, it, it's a ritual, right? So we're, we're bringing her into the present moment uh, energetically on other planes of existence. And we're, you know, I bring up my anger that I had that day and we're begging her both for me and then for Justin, for whatever his sins were that day to eliminate that sin. And eventually you will purify yourself of your sins in this way. And that's the only way you can do that. But why, why any sex in the first place? Uh, that's a really good question. I mean, I can glean knowledge or, or, uh, uh, understanding comprehension about my sin without that practice but this this was how you energetically because everything is sex in his teaching meaning the energy of life the void all of it is about the sexual energy in order to eliminate the ego you have to be in the sexual uh, sexual energetic fold that would be a way i could describe it so So there's this kind of sex magical premise to it like it's almost there's crowley elements and uh, randolph and all this and and it yes sex is powerful but unlike crowley randolph he goes with a john humphrey noise oneida community shaker perspective and says don't have the orgasm but don't have an orgasm yes outside of the the sex component of it you know confessing your sins through the like day it almost sounded like it could be a cathartic thing but then everything else that's going on maybe not so much yeah i think it could be but we were hyper evaluating i mean this was my experience right my experience i was hyper evaluating every emotion ever every reaction i was having during the day and it created this kind of paranoia in me and and self-obsession about whether I'd done the bad thing or not today, or whether I'd prayed right today. And so uh, it, and this wasn't, you know, didn't happen immediately. It just sort of evolved into this and created this just like move, the way that I moved through the world uh, was kind of painful and dreary and sad because of that. Cause I had to like, I'm looking for the sin. I was told I had to look for how bad I was that day. And evaluate myself and place myself upon the butchering block and destroy who I was because I was inherently bad, permanent, and stop. 
period, something like that. <laughs> and you're also talking about this like it's um, it's almost egocentric. It, you're so focused on yourself that do you, yes. did you feel cut off from other people by this? I mean, you're self-flagellating, which is Eventually, awful. But yes, all the time. Yes, eventually I did, and and uh, I think that's that's very much what I witnessed in the groups. Like if if you, I mean, we were a pretty good sized group, the the Gnostic Society. Um, which is run by a student of Samael's. Um, he's a director. He lives in Rome. So he's kind of a direct descendant, descendant, uh, as far as lineage goes. Uh, and yeah, we, that it was really pretty harsh. <laughs> and that was, so it's also a community policed thing. Yeah. Uh, to a certain degree. I mean, we weren't, we weren't in a commune. So we weren't like, Hey, Sally touched the laundry wrong today. (laughs) So I I need to like police her and her behavior, but it was all self-induced. And because the teaching is taught, not only taught by the living people, but also in the doctrine itself, in the writings of Samael, in absolutes and certainties. uh, I don't know how much you've read of his work. Um, It's pretty harsh there's not a lot of love there other than for your essence and for your divine mother and for your being you yourself as a personality is worthless. Uh, and I think, I think Samael personally is my opinion. I think he undervaluates what it really means to be a person, like the complexities of being a person and the beauty of being a person. I think of being human. I think he, yeah, I just don't think he got it. <laughs> why do you think that? Do you have any speculation on why that might be? I, I do not know because, you know, if you read, so if you read Blavatsky or you read some of these other guys, like there's some harshness in there, you know, it's, you know, there there's teachings within that that condemn the negative aspects, the the habits that you have, the attachments that you have, like, you know, you shouldn't get stuck in your your personality too deeply because, you know, all of the new age teaching is about like expanding your awareness and and not getting too habitualized to or too. Um, I, I know what you mean. It's the habit of being right. The, the, the habit, the material existence. Yeah, because there's so much more to you if you investigate it and you explore it. And if you get too stuck in your habits of like, I have to have toast at four o'clock every day, then maybe you don't realize that there's this amazing meal that is more than toast <laughs> for a metaphor. Right. Yeah. But there's a, I mean, there's a positivity to, to Blavatsky, right? There's, yes. I, there's one of my favorite yeah. stories about her is there was one instance, maybe she was on a ship. She was constantly traveling, but she received right. a note from the masters, her ascended masters of the lodges telling her she was being too harsh to her students and that she should be kinder to them and that everything right. was going to be okay. So I feel like there yeah. was this back and forth with her, whoever the masters yeah. were, that, that right. you yeah. shouldn't be uh, you know, too much of a taskmaster, that it, you're guiding people spiritually and that there should be a positivity to right. it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Samael never got to that point. Yeah, okay. <laughs> he kept doubling down and doubling down. Yeah. So yeah, he he needed Blavatsky's ascended masters. I mean, right. he, he said claimed to have them, right? As far as being connected up to the lodges. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
But the sure. masters are only as good as their student. <laughs> well, I can tell you a lot about the group there. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So uh, tell us a bit about your experience then. How do you come to this yeah. group? Um, it was my fault. <laughs> okay. uh, it was, it was, I found a random flyer in a coffee shop on a course in lucid dreaming or dream yoga uh, that I thought my friend, Justin, who I'm now married to, I thought he and his girlfriend would be really into it because he was really into these new age, like, you know, manifest your reality kind of stuff. Um, and it turns out she didn't want to go. And I, I had just moved to Portland, Oregon, and I didn't really have anything to do. So I'm like, I'll go with you. And the instructor that we met the that first night just fucking floored us. Like it was, he was so knowledgeable about all this odd and obscure and to me, this was my hook, this kind of like pseudo uh, uh, um, academic uh, work that I was really missing from my college days, which weren't that far behind me, but I was really missing academia and studying and nerdy things and books and having a plan. And, you know, I was, I was wanting that. Um so he was teaching this these really interesting ideas out of his house and Justin and I had never while we were never like religiously inclined we weren't neither one of us were raised in a religion uh we were like interested in the meanings of life and and how to be deep and and you know how to expand ourselves and and here was all here was this giant package giving us all of the answers and uh the more we stayed um it became our lives and uh gnosis itself seemed more serious than any other endeavor in any other religion um so we took it on and so when are you introduced to samael as a as the right source away. of this oh okay so that right was away. the premise yeah. of the class was yeah. samael yeah like the instructor uh <laughs> oh boy so this is my opinion all the Gnostic instructors, you know, we feign uh, humility because we are on the right path and everyone else is wrong. Um, but we are correct. But we are teaching, we are sure, we are clear uh, that we are teaching Samael's teachings, our own personal revelation of his teachings. We are not the guru ourselves. Uh, you know, whether... You as an individual have good integrity and don't take advantage of people. That's another thing altogether. But we are teaching his teaching. So therein lies the humility. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon. If you talk to a Catholic and you get down to the heart of it, they'll right. tell you the same thing. I mean, they're, they're, right. it's a version of Christianity and they think it's the best one that will get them to the sure. best part of heaven. Right. For sure, it's so, not unfamiliar. Uh, un, un, in, uh, un, oh. It's similar to that. <laughs> and where it appealed to you because of the, the complexity of the. I mean, this makes me feel like I should go start a cult tomorrow. But it appealed right? to you. I mean, I, maybe I have the alchemical actors, right, right Luke? Well, it all <laughs> yeah. depends on the day. It really does. <laughs> Rob, what should we do with our time? So. <laughs> <laughs> we should podcast, but uh, it, it seems to me. So you're you're talking about the source of the 
it was a library. They handed you a library. Is that right? Um, t- when I say package, I meant like the the theory of it. The it wasn't a physical package. It was just like. But then you got teachings. to go out to research. Like the look, look at all these things you should be reading. Is uh, that part of it, or? Sure, that was part of it. But usually, um, we waited for Samael's books to come into print in English. Uh, at the time in 2001, there weren't that many books printed yet. Uh, the there's a company called Glorianne who uh, the guy who originally ran that center in um, California they were responsible for the printings of the books. If they printed and other so, things or just Samael's books? Mostly in the beginning, just Samael's books. Okay. Now as a as a company as a as a organization they they pl- print plenty of other sacred texts but only sacred texts yeah okay well so what 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 appealed to well, what was the draw <laughs> why did you say well, this this is the truth because i have a philosophy degree and it was really nerdy and and i love that shit like you know i see so it appealed studying to all of that was really appealing yeah does and it then, appeal to people you know, who don't or aren't as inclined to oh, the academic I side? imagine it appeals to, you know, that was my hook. My, yeah. For my husband, it was like he, uh, his own description of his own hook about it was he was already interested in new age philosophy and sort of like nerdy counterculture contrarian lifestyle. And it's a very contrarian lifestyle. Um, and so it appealed to him for those reasons. And you know, everyone else is going to have different reasons for why it would appeal to them. Was the obscurity part of the appeal? I, sure. I, I don't want Absolutely. a harsh on Columbia. Like it's, <laughs> I, it's not <laughs> Samael's fault that he wasn't born to the British aristocracy or the right. Ukrainian aristocracy <laughs> for that matter. Sure. I mean, I do think sure. Blavatsky pulled herself up by her bootstraps, but Crowley just for dropped sure. right down in the middle of it. So good right. for Samael for getting these books together and having them translated by somebody eventually. Um, but- uh, well, originally they were just all in Spanish. Once the missionaries that were Spanish speakers came to the U.S., I think that's when they started, and I don't know that timeline, um, that started translating them into English. Probably some English Spanish speakers were interested in falling into it and offering to translate books and lectures. Mm-hmm. That's what I imagine. Yeah. So... So it was in part the fact that this was a secret that nobody else had heard yeah. of him. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I mean, it, and and it, it all more felt authentic? like karmic, karmic, you know, like I should stay here because I found this random flyer in a coffee shop. Like, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's that's the sign. It's the sign in the on the path to telling me I should follow it. You know, how many people are you meeting with at this house? Uh, oh, it changed over the years. Um, we did have a really vibrant center in Portland for the longest time. And, and then Justin and I became the, the, the main instructors of that school in around 2007. Um, so yeah. Well, how many people would gather for a class? Were they Uh, classes? We, we could have as many as 20 people in the house. Okay. Uh, and then we had, you know, that would decrease as time went on because some people would get tired of it or the teaching became too harsh or, uh, you know, maybe they had trouble with the sexual teaching in the end. Uh, we didn't always get 
reasons why people would leave. But we had three different chambers. We had the public chamber, which was like the basic program of the basic reading of his teaching. And then there was meditation chamber where we tried very hard to follow his instruction on meditation, which was a pretty abysmal understanding of what meditation actually is because Justin and I ended up going to actual Buddhists and learning how to meditate through them. Um, and then we had second chamber, which was the ritual aspect. Cause we had like a full on like Masonic chamber in the house with all the trappings, the cubic altar and the checkered board floor and all the other stuff. Uh, and we would do ritual in there and meditate for the second chamber. And then we had third chamber, which was the confessional where we're group confessing our sins and our observations. How much of my week is devoted to this if I'm a member? Every day. Every day you're devoting something to it. Maybe okay. at your home. Yeah. So How about ideally are we gathering were, weekly? Or are we gathering more than You're gathering week? weekly. Okay. But some groups would meet more. So the it wasn't a there wasn't an absolute about this, but the more classes that you attended that you had access to because public chamber could not go visit second chamber and second chamber could only be invited into third chamber. Um, you are sometimes coming to two to three events a week, depending on your level of accessibility. And of course, Justin and I are writing lectures. We're reading our own uh, stuff. We're trying to do our own practice. And then we're teaching four and five, four and five nights a week. What is the spread of this at you know right now? How how many countries is it in? How many people would you estimate? <clears throat> I can only speak to our uh, branch of it because mm -hmm. there's you know once Samael died, all of his followers and his kids, like most of his kids, were teaching it. I can't verify or tell you how many stayed teaching it. Um. Uh, you know, they all had their own like interpretation of stuff. And some of them had some really awful falling out with each other because they weren't interpreting it quite correctly. Um, so the group that I was, we were with the Gnostic society, we are in uh, all the, all the continents except for Antarctica. <laughs> um but I couldn't tell you what countries anymore. Yeah. I don't know the number. That's, that's, a, that's good, though. That we're does give us sense. All in, we're in all continents. Yeah. We're in South America, um, the, the, North, the North continent, um, excuse me, North American continent. Uh, there is a person who's in Africa, uh, two, two now, because the Canary Islands are part of Africa. Um, you've got the Asian countries. There's a few there. In Europe, there's quite a few uh, I think probably because the theosophy kind of hits well there. Mm -hmm. um, Australia. Oh, there's a butt ton in Australia <laughs> and New Zealand. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Go back to meditation. Yes. So tell me more. So I, I know about <laughs> Buddhist meditation. It's a fairly simple yeah. exercise at its heart. What, what, went, what goes wrong, in your opinion, in the Samael meditation? In Samael meditation, he's so bad at describing what you can do with your attention. So with, with Buddhist meditation, there's, 
at least the Buddhists that I've gone to retreats with, and, you know, I went to an abbey and, or not an abbey, uh, a monastery in Canada and studied under an abbot and, and studied under some other meditation instructors, uh, um, that did retreats. And there's a weaving of what you can do with your attention when it gets lost. And there's instructions about, okay, I'm having these experiences, I'm having these sensations, or I'm noticing these things in my mind uh, with my practice. And the the better the instructor is, the more they can kind of tease you through your way through these obstacles and get you to a deeper flow state or to, you know, jhanic states, which are uh, the different levels of samadhi that you can reach. Uh, although that's my understanding of it, you could, as a religious instructor, you probably know it differently or more or something. Well, I mean, there's the um, many flavors of Buddhists, some... right? But yeah, it's, right. it's about yeah, focus yeah, and sure. attention and being present at yep. its core. Yes, yes, exactly. But what happens then to your attention if you're starting to experiencing a deepening of the quiet of the mind? Like, what do you, how do you navigate that? And Samael just his instructions were to relax and to to get into a half drowsy sleepy state which that's not really the goal that's not really the point you know mm-hmm. uh it is very he did try to describe it in a very devotional way so that would keep your attention probably on your object of concentration uh cuz you're involving the emotions and that's much more interesting and juicy than just you know i'm gonna try to not think (laughs) right but then what (laughs) right yeah exactly the point exactly the point and so and so we were really frustrated and granted our our instructor also our first instructor also taught outside the box which i i really actually appreciate because he taught us that it was okay to go get information from you know, lesser religions by uh, going to get taught by other other instructors about meditation, in particular the Buddhists. That's who we chose, um, and so they could they could help us navigate. Whereas Samael just has this very simplistic description, and he's very like authoritative, like, "Well, you just do the thing. You just do it." And stop. Like that's that's all the instruction he really gives. You know, love your divine mother. Uh, uh, pray to your, you know, open up your heart and relax and try to get sleepy. That's his, you know, those are his instructions, which are not very good. (laughs) (laughs) And, but it's a core part of your practice. It's a core. Yes. It's a very, you know, Samael taught a very practice oriented. So you're, you are meditating, you're doing mindfulness practices, which, you know, so you're trying to not stay so engaged in your train of thought you're you're trying to observe the environment around you all the day and if you get angry you're noticing that you're sort of like okay i got angry at sally and it had this flavor uh you know i was angry because i felt insulted and i i felt really defended and i had these thoughts and so you take that into your meditation practice and you try to dissolve it or digest it and you're trying to you know interpret your, your, um, the, the, uh, impressions that you have of your day and your, you know, all of this. So that it's a very practice orientated. It's not just go to church, 
sing some hymns, you know, get your wine and biscuit wafer. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be derogatory. I'm losing the, the, the terminology. Um, uh, the unction, excuse me, you're, you, you know, and then you're good for the week. Like this is very involved. You're very invested in all of these practices. And then you're also doing sleep deprivation exercises at night so that you're more likely to be lucid. You are of course, uh, uh, having the sexual practice. If you are partnered up, you can't have sex unless you're married. That's a, that's a have to. Um, so I, I give him credit for making it very practical. Like it felt very serious. It felt like we were doing something super important because we were deeper than other religions. We were invested and involved daily, you know, uh, in this practice, in this path. But it was psychologically well, I don't want to say, but it it's was psychologically demanding. Yeah, very demanding. It's very psychologically demanding. And if you can grok that, if that doesn't feel like a burden, if that doesn't feel overwhelming, or you're more like a workaholic and, and sort of an intensity junkie, because it does, you know, all of these practices and all of this, you know, movement away from the world around you into your internal life has an effect. Uh, if you're invested in that and it doesn't feel like harm, you're probably going to like this. Like it's very monk, you know, you're trying to be a monk, but not in a monastery. I, I mean, I, it does sound, it's the psychologically demanding aspect that it's it, it, like, it's, it's, there is something unique about it. I, I'll say it, right. because yeah. it, it's like Scientology. It's like Nexium in this way that you're policing your mm. emotions and your thoughts all yes. the time. But yes. unlike Dianetics and whatever Ranieri was doing, I don't know what he called right. it, I forget, but yeah. th that program, you have all these Kabbalistic Hindu Buddhist like terms and it's ideas. A, it's such, religious. It's such a mishmash. It's such a mishmash. And once you get into second chamber, it get it turns it turns on a dime and it's very Catholic. So oh. we're having ritual in the temple and we're having uh, uh, mass, which so, okay, you want to talk about plagiarism? Uh, Samael took Aleister Crowley's mass and most of the book of his rituals. He used that language and that formula for creating his own rituals out of it. Mm, he's not um, the only one. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, good. I didn't. I didn't know. Gerald Gardner um, has been accused of uh, plagiarizing Crowley. Yeah. <laughs> sure. 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 So go ahead. Uh, well, yeah. So he listed yeah, that, so, that. That doesn't make it okay. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't make it okay. I think, but you know, yeah. So he, you know, we, we, once we got into second chamber and third chamber, then, and that becomes confessional. So we're admitting dark sins to each other. We don't really have a priest that we're saying it to. We are kneeling before the altar and we're saying it to the altar. We're not, you know, a priest is not absolving us of our sins. That's our, personal being's job to know if we've comprehended enough about how awful we were or something. Um, and do understand, I am describing this as, as someone who experienced a lot of negativity and a lot of personal trauma from all of this. So yeah. I have my own flavor about all of this. Um, someone could be telling us about this as if it were a very positive the best thing in the world. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it strikes me Samael is both 
claiming to be this outside the box thinker doing all this stuff, but now you're describing a Catholic right. I mean, just in other terms, and he's from a Catholic country, right? A Catholic continent. Right. So (laughs) I I see the plagiarism there. I mean, plagiarism of Crowley, but also it's just like he took his Catholicism, put it on the second tier and said, okay, now let's go do all the Catholic stuff. Right. Pretty much, pretty much. And what we were told about, why so much of Samael's language in his doctrine sounded similar to like other writers like Blavatsky and Steiner and whatnot um, was that all awakened uh, people, all awakening practitioners have the same revelations. They'll all come to the same truths. Um, And he himself wrote that uh, enlightened people don't argue. They only agree with one another. So if you don't agree with him and his teachings and methods, it means that you're not enlightened. And that's proof that his teachings are real and true. And, you know, while now I see that claim as, you know, if Samael was having all of these experiences on his own uh, about the validity of the path, these sort of specific revelations, why couldn't he have put it in his own words? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it it is a, a, a trope of occultism that there is the one religion the one religion of truth right, right? um yeah I, I guess it, it yeah where it becomes toxic is when unlike somebody like levy or blavatsky it becomes this rigorous practice right yeah if you're if you're creating a dogma about it and and uh it's it's you know if you're if you're not following the teachings you know you are damning your soul you're you are following a, a dead-end path um, and I think you have to, I, I, I personally feel like that's too big of a weight to place upon your practice. Like if, if you want to, um, practice, uh, you know, these, there's, there's so much in these teachings, not just some, you know, not Samael's necessarily, but like the, the theosophical society and the, and the, the, the interesting, psychological ideas of self and consciousness, like all of that's really interesting and worth investigating, but kind of, I see, I personally see it more in the realm of like Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like it's fun ideas to play with and, and you shouldn't necessarily, like you can grow from those things, but you shouldn't put the damnation of your own soul on whether you get it right or not. Yeah, those are tough terms, and it's rare in occultism, I think, that we find hell manifesting in any meaningful way or damnation. It's often dispensed yeah, and he, with. He spoke a lot about that. I mean, you know, gnashing of teeth, and you know, if you had an orgasm, it was better if you tied a millstone on your neck and threw yourself into the ocean like that. That's that's how he worded it. And the irony of lifting Crowley, who lived a life that was the opposite yeah. of all of that. Right. right. Yeah. That is truly, yeah. now that you say that, like at the time I was like, oh yeah, everyone lives from Crowley. But now I'm like, no, that's really weird. It's really weird. <laughs> he had a really strong opinion about Aleister Crowley too. Like he, you know, thought he was an evil man and, sure, you know, you know, damnation because not only he was awakened, you know, black magician, he, he was doing the teaching incorrectly on purpose and was leading people astray so so tell us about your journey then out so you talked about how you got in yeah how do you get out um there's it's it's complicated because it's it's part of 
part of it is um, the the group itself. So the the group, at least my own personal experience with the 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 way the groups ended up manifesting is that we were pretty judgmental and really petty. Like I wasn't I wasn't a paragon of mental health before I got into gnosis, but I I certainly became so self-critical, you know, and it and it happened really slowly. Like you read these books and they have these claims and it has this absolute language about it. And that just kind of like this is my understanding post lots of therapy. Like like it just kind of crawls into your brain and becomes part of how you see yourself in the world and uh, you know and i the groups themselves are just sort of seeped in that internal culture of of self-evaluation and self-condemnation and and we we were really kind of snotty and shitty and it, at least we were safe because we were on the path like and and you know it, just because you were a gnostic didn't mean that you were saved like you had to be the best gnostic <laughs> mm-hmm. so there was kind of a lot of competition between ourselves and especially with the people in higher um higher echelon the second chamber third chamber group and then the the missionaries themselves were very competitive about like how many people they had in their groups and how many how many chambers did they have open? And so that was part of it. That was the beginning, you know, like in the end, it it got really like that part of it got really heavy. And then of course, near the end, uh, we had a couple of really awful scandals that happened. And now you're talking our language, Lynn. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. The scandals, the scandals were really horrific and uh, the shit kind of hit the fan for like, two years straight with like a scandal going off here and a scandal going off there and, and different groups. Cause you know, the, the way the structures of the schools were like, you had a center in the town and that was the only Gnostic center in that town. And if you were on the West coast, you might do a group, you might gather up all the centers together and, you know, have a retreat of sorts. I kind of call them more revivals than actual meditation retreats kind of had that flair we were doing all these kneeling practices and chanting and stuff is not really meditative mm-hmm. um so it was the way those sort of the the in our own my, my own description of it is like while there was a hierarchy of we had the director we didn't have named underlings under him but we certainly had organic influencers that sort of evolved like this couple teaches this teaching in a better way than the other cult couple so like there were organic tiers of people with supposed awakenings so those influencers and the director the way they handled these scandals was more about concern for the organization and the optics of gnosis and less about the trauma that the people were actually experiencing and that was a that was a hard line for me well what was the shape Um, of the scandals was it financial people committing suicide what was the shape one person one person that i know of committed suicide her so it it's also a very coupling up 
culture because of the nature of the sexual practice. You're supposed to be married. Most missionaries, ideally, you're supposed to have a partner uh, because you can't have the way the temple is structured. You can't open a fully functioning chamber, if, especially if you're a woman and you're not married, because the priest has to run the temple and the Isis has to be his set right-hand man, whatever. Um, so, uh, yes, one person committed suicide, but then part of that scandal was like her husband ended up uh, a month after her suicide courting one of his students who was already in, dating somebody else. So there was that level of scandal. And so like they were hooked up within like a three month period after his wife committed suicide. And I am not going to evaluate whether I don't know that person that well, mm -hmm. whether he did it because he was like just overwhelmed with grief and couldn't handle actually feeling those feelings or if he was actually kind of a dick and like didn't care i i don't know um, and there's also pressure to be in a union there's pressure to be and like oh yeah. you know like if you are having these astral experiences that teach you a thing and you are creating a dogma about the certainty of that rather than oh this is interesting information that i can grow from then you are going to act out in some weird ways. And that's definitely what we saw happen. Um, people made choices that were really kind of awful based on their experience that they had. <laughs> um, one guy, the, the, okay, so here's the biggest scandal is that we, my husband and I ended up moving to Spokane to open up a new center. And the gentleman that we left the school with, uh, use the term very loosely, gentlemen. Um, he married one of the students pretty rapidly and had a child. Again, no explanation about that. Um, and they, uh, uh, he ended up being an awful assaulter, a sexual assaulter of his own wife, mm. one of the students, and he was what they now refer to as grooming, grooming two other women. Um, into sexual affairs hadn't quite crossed that line yet um and so it kind of completely really against awful. the teaching completely against the teaching yeah. and it felt really awful that we had left the kids you know the you know there's a very like derogatory way that the missionaries view the students they are students not members not congregation like they are underlings but it felt like we had left the kids with a bad babysitter <laughs> Yeah, because we felt responsible. They were they were under our care, under our tutelage, and this awful thing happened. And then in another school, there was, uh, you know, the teaching is what it is. You're ideally having sex every day, every night, unless your being tells you to pause or your wife partner is on her menstrual cycle. And so one guy was uh, raping his wife on a regular basis. So. Like those were, those were the major scandals. And then you just had people who had very, uh, just weird points of view about themselves. Like, oh, I've awakened to this level of Sephiroth and I am awake. And so it just, you know, it lends itself to, if you don't have integrity, if you are, are 
taking advantage of the teaching in a bad way, or if you are deluded yourself because of the way that it is taught and the, the implicit and explicit meanings of all of it, like it can really take you down a dark path. So, Hmm. so I mean, that was, so it's not really the teachings fault then these scandals necessarily, or do you think that, well, it depends on where you lay blame then like, this this is what comes up for me like the teaching like let's let's put aside samael's uh, plagiarism and influence of other occultists and mm-hmm. we just look at samael and his teachings on its own the language in the books is written uh in a really harsh way you as a person um uh, you are described as evil and you're not worth anything. The only thing that is meaningful for you is is the essence that you have to grow and you and you have to sacrifice everything. The way that it's written, you have to sacrifice everything for this path. All of your pleasure, your personal interests, uh, goals. Um, uh, you have to follow this path. Uh, and, and Gnostics tend to turn personal suffering and personal sacrifice into a virtue and so the more that you're suffering, the more that you're doing the work right. Um, because your ego is so ab- ab- abominable that um, uh, it's, it's, it's better to, to destroy that than continue another existence, because uh, there's multiple existences, of course, to continue another existence under the, the, the yoke of your ego. So I see the suicide in that. And would you also then attribute the mistreatment of, I mean, mostly women because we, yeah. because everyone is trash in a certain sense. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And am I doing you a favor by being horrible to you? I'm helping you suffer. You could, you could, you know, you could argue that. Okay. Um, well, I mean, do you think that's uh, what these men were doing when they were doing this to these women? Or, I mean, it just seems like. Probably not con- yeah, Probably the, not consciously. The group you, you know, that you left in the man's hands, it, it almost seems like that could have happened in any group where a person in a position sure. of authority oh, wants yeah, to take yeah. advantage of that authority. But oh, yeah. The raping of the yeah, wife the only, and that the sort only, of stuff. Yeah, the only naivety on my part was thinking that we were above all of that. Yeah, I see. Like, yeah, like yeah. that was that was just a rude awakening of like, oh, we aren't different and we are treating our scandals the same way. We're not taking care of the people that got harmed we are and and you know trust me like they they threw a scapegoat under the bus and ruined her for a period of time Mm. uh i won't go into those personal details but like watching that and them be like well that's their karma like no that's inexcusable uh so there's not only a Catholic Church response of sweeping it under the rug, but then there's also yep. some sort of spiritual justification, which I don't think the yes. Catholic Church got up to very much. It was right. just hiding, yeah. hiding, hiding. Yeah, that's right. dark. Yeah. That's dark. The spiritual justification. Oh, Yeah. Ooh. For your suffering, but also like kind of a like, well, we don't need to involve ourselves with injustices in the world because all of that, you know, it is a very Armageddon cult, like the end of the world is nigh and and you know no one really knows when that's going to be happening but there was that one time that our director in rome said there was going to be a bomb that went off in new york uh and this whole city would be obliterated in 2015 which didn't happen and that was 
again, like, like that was like, oh, if that happens, I am so agnostic. I'm never questioning this. This is my path forever. And then it didn't happen. And he was like, oh, well, we've done such good work that the White Lodge altered that reality. Mm. And so it was very conveniently, like, just rearranged. Uh, so, so that was another, like, nick out of my, like, oh, this is this is maybe not quite true with a capital T. <laughs> so there wasn't, was there a moment or was it like a thousand little cuts? It was a thousand little cuts. Yeah. yeah. It was a thousand little cuts. One thing yeah. after the other. So how, what yeah. is that day like when you say, all right, we're not going back? Uh, well, fortunately, unfortunately, it happened mostly to myself. Like Justin, I was personally affected and, and I, you know, trauma isn't quite the right word, but like pretty harmful psychology developed and, you know, neuroses developed for me with the teaching. Like I, you know, am one of those, not a black and white person, but like, if the teaching says the thing, you do the thing. Whereas my husband was able to kind of like, well, I don't like that idea, but I do like these ideas. And so the rest is fine. We can, we can live in both worlds. And I got to a point where the teachings just hurt so much that in order for me to continue to stay in, despite all the scandals and the plagiarism that we found out, um, it meant I would have to metaphorically die and not in the good, like occultist sort of way. It was Mm. like, I am in so much pain, you know, the fact that I couldn't get a handle of, you know, my inability to not have an orgasm. And the advice that I got was abysmal. It was like, well, you're not doing enough pranayama. You need to pray to your divine mother more like no real practical method for how I can change this. Oh, just have sex for like a minute. That's your karma. Like that, that was the instruction we got, like have sex only on a Friday. That was what (laughs) Justin was told. Like, so it's just, you know, like those little cuts and, and like, there was no, because suffering is a virtue, like it just got bad. It got to be a very painful experience. Despite the wonderful experiences I did have, I had great meditative experiences. I had really interesting lucid dream experiences. And this is all the, 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 the cake at the end of the rain, rainbow, the gold, I don't know, um, <laughs> that, that is available. Cake. If you do all of these, if you are adhering to these things, you can have these really interesting experiences. But again, like if you are creating this dogma that is more pain than it's worth, I think... I think it's just really troubling and sad. Um, so at one point, I just couldn't anymore. I, I, I'd had my straw, my last cut, and I was really worried because I love my husband very much. We're very weird people. And we were friends before we became Gnostics for about seven years. And then we became Gnostics together and then became a couple. That's sort of our timeline. Um, and... I adored this man very much. And so I leaving meant because of the way the coupling is, uh, leaving meant the very high risk that I would have to end my marriage. And it just crushed me. And I put that off as long as I could. And then finally I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And if this is your path, 
please, I give you my blessing. Go, go forth, young man, <laughs> and and do the path, and and I will love you for it, but from afar because I can't anymore. And then, as we do in the modern world, um, I posted something general on Facebook about how I was leaving my religion, and a week later, Justin got kicked out. Oh wow! So that's something I was going to ask about. Yeah, and he got kicked out by email. <laughs> <laughs> so no one called to connect with him or find out like, oh, uh, are, do you feel the same way? Are you are you are you second guessing this? Like no one questioned it at all. All we got was this email about, um, and it was from Var from um, our director in Rome. And, and it was generalized about a couple of things, but then also like, and super important, don't communicate with these people anymore, these Gnostics. It was two dead missionaries, the awful man in Portland that we left our school to, and then Justin and myself, and we were in bold. <laughs> wow. Every, the two dead people and the awful guy, like they were, they were fine, but we were written in bold. Do not communicate with these people anymore. Hard stop. So, and Justin had his own misgivings. He's realized in the time that's passed, this July will be five years now. Um, so his part, his process has been one of grief because he got, he got shunned. And for me, it's been rage, rage, burn the house down. I want to understand what I did to my brain and my psychology. And I want to pick this apart because that's, that's what you do when you're a philosopher ish person. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so, and now, now I am less angry and more able to see the good that I got. Cause there was a lot of good we got out of it. Um, uh, and, and Justin's like grief has been put to bed. He's invested himself in other things and, uh, especially biking. He's gotten back into cycling a lot and, uh, and his anger has gone up. <laughs> it's like, oh, this was bullshit. These aspects were bullshit. And it was kind of really cruel, the teaching. So Yeah, I'm, I have to ask, because we did an episode, maybe yeah. you heard it about cults um, and brainwashing, and I argued, and I think I'm still very much on the side of brainwashing is not real. Most religion scholars feel that's right. true. So that yeah. means that there's an element of coercion that keeps people engaged in an activity that they otherwise would not be yeah. doing so and particularly like when i watch nexium or when i look at scientology the coercion in nexium's case the coercion became very um more visceral right with the with the uh photographs that the women were taking of themselves and creating this collateral right but i also think that there were a number of members who were coerced were in a bad situation there but were being coerced psychologically yes could you speak a bit about that do you feel like you were coerced psychologically I feel like I was, but no individual did that to me. I think it was a group catharsis. Like it was like group think and we were reinforcing maybe negative or uh, uh, harmful behavior upon each other because mm -hmm. we're all trying to be the good little boys and girls that we are. And, and we're all, we're all in this together, but we're all so completely independent. Like it's, it's, it's kind of a strange group dynamic. Um, in that regard. And I think because it's sold the package of gnosis, 
um, the way that it is sold is this is the path, truth with a capital T, and you are special. It is your, if you have come across this teaching, it is karmically like beneficial for you to stay on this path. And so you're just kind of re-encouraged all of the time by reading the book. You're encouraged all the time to read the books. And, you know, I think Samael was very sincere. I don't think he was a grifter. I think he believed in what, you know, even if he did plagiarize, I think he believed his teaching. I think he probably had enough, uh, you know, maybe he had some ability, like, this is a side note. Um, I did read a study where there are a couple of different types of brain where like some people can visualize uh, things very easily and other people cannot. And so maybe he was one of those people who could like visualize things really easily and have lucid dreams really easily and have meditative experiences very easily because he very much talked about it like, oh, it's very simple. You just do the thing. Uh, whereas I do not have that in my brain. <laughs> I do not. I mean, I can lucid dream. It takes a fuck ton of work to get there uh, unless I'm at a meditation retreat where all of your stimulus is like calming down, but out in the world, like it, it takes me like becoming a little hermit to, to create those, uh, um, sets of circumstances to, to, uh, to arise. Um, uh, so does that make me less than him or does that just make me kind of different? And do we have to evaluate in terms of, awakened and not awakened or better or worse can it just be like oh that's an interesting skill you have i can massage people i don't know <laughs> you know i like to pick apart ideology and thought and i like to pretend i'm a poet like <laughs> right right so we all have different skills can we just see it as different skills and different interests rather than create this very harsh regimented half twos absolutes in terms of your spiritual work, like I, I'm now kind of at this point, if, if I can keep going on, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah um, please do. I'm into it. <laughs> um, I, I just want to say, I've listened to uh, this podcast. I, you know, one of my favorite podcasts is Conspirituality. And uh, Derek uh, Bears, I think his last name is, mentioned something about being a spiritual materialist. And I really love that, that like, the material world and what we have around us is enough. Like we as beings, as humans, as, as people talking to each other and breathing in a room somewhere. I mean, I'm, I'm on the West coast, you're on the East. Like that's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Wow. <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> like that's so interesting. And isn't that enough? And we can celebrate this other person's weird ability to, to visualize and dream and, and, and be an artist of the mind. And isn't that cool too, but does it have to be better or more than what I experience as a basic person? Yeah. I see so, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So you feel like, and if religion feels good and helps you grow, great. Do that. Hmm. So the coercion insofar as it existed yes. was in you being made to feel less than, but you bought uh, into your own, you bought into I bought it into, yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, hierarchy. I, I take, yeah, I take, I take responsibility for the fact that no one made me stay. <laughs> right. 
right? No one made me stay. No one made me read the books. No one made me try to do it the way that I did it. Like I tried really hard. Like I tried to follow a practice and I tried my mindfulness and I, you know, did all the things and I tried really hard and had some experiences, but some, and none of it felt like it was proof enough to be truth with a capital T, but I kind of went along to get along until maybe it would happen. It, whatever it is. So I was a willing participant and the coercion was more just like, I wanted to be involved in the community. I wanted to be, participate and participating with that community meant certain things. Which were very demanding and involved in very demanding. damnation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh. if you had joined a spiritualist yeah. church or a theosophical society or something, you could have certainly right. worked in thought as much as you yeah. wanted without feeling like your soul right. was on the line. Wouldn't have to worry about having an orgasm. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, not so prescriptive. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. What yeah. a story, Lynn. What a story. Yeah, I can tell you a little bit more about the plagiarism because that's kind of what started your your inquiry. Yeah, let's dig into that a sure. bit. So uh, Krishnamurti, who was part of, originally part of Theosophical Society. Yeah, I um, want to do an episode about Krishnamurti. Blavatsky, well, maybe not Blavatsky, but the post-Blavatskians regarded him as a potential like <laughs> latest incarnation. Messiah, yeah. the, next, the second coming yeah. of Christ. Yeah, um, and he's interesting. And he's also kind of harsh like when you read like he's not nearly as damning toward the person as Samael but it's and so this is the this is the thing like if you read Krishnamurti and then read Samael it's like oh that's where you have some of this and he wrote almost word for word granted it's English translated into Spanish translated back into English um uh, the book Samael wrote, uh, uh, Fundamental Education, is very, very much their giant segments of Krishnamurti's book on education that he took directly from that. Um, the commentaries, if you know who Maurice Nicole is, was. Mm -hmm. uh, he was part of the Fourth Way School, part of Gurdjieff. Uh, the commentaries are these five giant volumes of the psychological teaching and like uh, uh, the hydrogens and a bunch of stuff I, I vaguely remember. Um, the psychological teaching is directly derived from Nicole. It's the same language, uh, self-remembering, self-observation. It's the same stuff. Um, of course, there's the Theosophical Society with Steiner and Ani Passat and uh, Blavatsky, um, the Akashic records and the hierarchy of the races. That's it's all the same, same teaching, almost word for word. Um, Dion Fortune, he pulled a lot from her with Kabbalah. Mm. Um, he just said that she was, he, he said this about most of them, that, uh, they just got some things incorrectly and cause he's the avatar. Um, so he corrected their mistakes. <laughs> He's got good taste. I mean, I like a lot of these folks. <laughs> Isn't he considered? Yes. Um, so, uh, and then the, the last one that I recall and, you know, it took Justin and I a couple of times to like have some conversation about it was, uh, one of Justin's favorite writers was Lob Singh Rampa, um, and his ideas on the laws of the universe, the structure of that, um, law of three, law of seven, but that's also kind of Kabbalistic too. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I can tell you where he, if he didn't, you know, sometimes 
because he he did mention some of these people in his books, but the way that he wrote about the teaching was that it came from him. Take that for what you will. It's such a, I mean, it's an oddly common thing, and I, I I can't say why at this moment. But Sister Ellen White of the Seventh Day Adventists, right, accused of plagiarism. Um, Hubbard, yeah, plagiarized. I think some of the early Dianetics stuff from a different psychologist, also from Freud. It's such a yeah. common thing. But uniquely, I think of people who are trying to start these practice-based groups. Blavatsky never really accused of plagiarism. She cited the hell out yeah. of her books. Crowley right. never really, but they, they didn't try to, like Crowley never effectively start, tried to start a, a cult that he controlled. He just started a bunch of right. lodges all over the place. And Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's this impulse to create this organized group. And, and that's what Samael had, right? It was an impulse to create this yeah. very rigid ritual practice that yeah. somehow lends itself to plagiarism. I don't know why. <laughs> right. Well, I, I kind of have a theory on that. Oh, good. And yeah. if you look at the, I, this is my theory. Like if you look at the era, especially where Samael was and maybe some of the other people that plagiarize off each other, um, it's, it's an era where fact checking and finding books and coming across stuff is kind of hard. Like you can't just Google Samael in 19 whatever, like that's not a thing. It didn't exist. And so it, you could just, you know, and he's teaching to people in Colombia and Mexico. And I don't know if all of his members were literate. So how did they come across any of this? And if they had a question about, oh, I came across a book about the Blavatsky, like, oh, what does this mean that your teaching is similar to that? Oh, well, all awakened people think the same. So that's an easy way out for that to to justify. That's my theory. Yeah. And from their perspective, they've had the revelation independently, like you said. So Right. They they got it first from Samael. So Yeah. So why not just copy and paste it? <laughs> right. Yeah. And granted, he wrote a lot, so it wasn't just I'm taking all of Blavatsky. You know, he interpret it and had his own ideas it wasn't all their stuff and not him so yeah yeah interesting very interesting certainly certainly the sexual teaching was all on him yes like his interpretation <laughs> yeah that's unique yeah yeah i mean it yes it's just unique <laughs> it's it's a it, because it sounds like these other guys like i said humph, noise and and you know um, Crowley to some extent and it sounds like these other folks but it it combines them in a way that they never should be combined honestly I I agree with you because they contradict yeah. each other at, you know there there are contradictions and inconsistencies and and he just sort of excused that away like yeah and we just you know if you're invested you have a sunk fault you know what do they call that a a sunk cost fallacy right, of sunk like cost, yeah. no i'm i'm here i'm invested you are the teacher you are the guru you know you are the one who gave me this knowledge to put a button on it lynn where are you at today in regard to all of this how do you regard your time in this group i wish i got out sooner <laughs> yeah okay um so there's some regret there's some there there are regrets in terms of I mean, you know, there were things I got that I value very much and will forever cherish. And I love that I learned some really interesting stuff that I wouldn't have learned any other way. And my love of meditation, although I'm a very irregular practitioner now, I'm, 
you know, it's like I had to kind of put all of that away for a while and I'm getting back into that in baby steps. I value the, like we were really into listening to sacred music and uh, uh, classical music and, and world music. And so I have this whole range of music that I listen to and my love of meditation and uh, just the, 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 while I already, as a person before Gnosis, I was already interested in introspection and wondering about the why of the world and what I am. And, you know, I did learn some authentic skills about introspection uh the way in which we ended up falling into it i felt like was pretty harmful and while i am now in a place through my therapy <laughs> that i don't have to throw out the baby with the bathwater i mostly have out the baby it's a couple of drops of bathwater <laughs> like that mm. left yeah um so like it's tainted all of this has been tainted by your experience it's pretty tainted although the history of it is very interesting because it had such a large impact and i feel like the new age occult is still alive and well like we're seeing it with um a little bit of the anti-vax stuff like some of the influencers of that have talked about akashic records and especially steiner and his view of vaccines and uh I don't remember off the top of my head all of that, but like, mm -hmm. so they still have an impact even now. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think it's really interesting. Again, there's some really interesting ideas and ways of viewing the world. And, and you can be a very deep practitioner of spirituality and not be on this really rigid path and self-harm. Uh, so uh, I don't know where I'm going to end up. I do like, again, like the spiritual materialism of like really just being happy in my own person and releasing all of what I had learned so I can relearn something else. And the idea of being uncertain about what existence is and who I am is very comforting, actually. Like, it's great. The 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 unknown and the unknowable is very that's fine. It can stay a mystery. I'm very happy about that, <laughs> which is interesting. Like what a joy to find the mystery mysterious instead of trying to chisel my way through the mystery to find the answer that might be wrong anyway. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of some of the Catholic, you know, the old school Catholic, medieval Catholic cloud of unknowing yeah. some of these texts about God being beyond, you know, completely unknowable by humanity. Yeah, I like that. I've always loved that too. Uh, and yeah, yeah, everything you're saying, Lynn, I mean, I think it speaks to the ideology of the show here. We we believe in a pluralistic oh, path. Yeah, I think you were a little yeah. worried. Uh, some of your messages that Luke shared that you were going to be not quite in tune with us. But yes, we don't well, think you should sure. have one path. I, you know, I felt like, <laughs> well, I felt like I'd listened to enough of your lecture, uh, the, the episodes that like, I had a pretty good feel. And and, you know, I am definitely more critical of the overall impact of the new thought occultism. I don't think it's all bad. I don't think, you know, I thought especially there's some very interesting characters and I don't believe they were all grifters or trying to do harm. Um so that's you know that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. But I mean the the pluralism is at our core, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, 
the ideas, loving the ideas is kind of like the way I used to think of Game of Thrones. Like I really liked Game of Thrones until I feel like the show took a shit on itself. <laughs> I'm one of those who really hated how the, like the last two seasons, You're in like good I'm one company, of those. Yeah. I, I just, the sto- yeah, we, we don't need to go into that, but like, like I never believed I was going to run into Jon Snow. Like I knew it wasn't real. It was just fun to play with and theorize about. I watched all the, you know, the YouTubers who were like doing deep dives on, on the weirdness of it and loved it all. And, and then I didn't, Um, but, (laughs) but like, that's, I like thinking of spirituality in that context now, like that's a safe place for me Mm -hmm. to uh, go forward. And if I am spiritual, I don't know what that looks like. I'm fine with playing with stuff. I do know the, 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 the joy of meditating into a deep state and, and discovering um, the different layers of the mind and how you can play with the attention. And all of that is very fun and comforting and beautiful, but I don't, I no longer have to feel like I'm special just because I had an experience. I no longer have to feel like it's more meaningful than just a flow state. Like, oh, that was nice. And now I can go connect with my husband instead of, you know, or my friends and talk about their dumb day or something. I don't have to like evaluate the importance of my life and meaning on one experience or another. So oddly, it was leaving the group that allowed you to transcend ego in ways you couldn't while in the group. (laughs) I would like to think of it that way. They certainly wouldn't think of it that way. But yeah, the way you're speaking, you're less concerned with yourself. Yeah, I really, I really am. It's, it's, I have never been, I have never been happier, even though I still have residue to clean up and I'm still in therapy. Um, uh, but I've never been happier in my life. I really haven't. That's a wonderful note to end on, Lynn. This, uh, yeah. I'm so grateful. Yeah. It's been a long talk. Thank, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it's so thank you for your time. It's been a fantastic time. Yes, come on. We were not at all feeling the time pass here. You talked us into a 90 minute interview, which is rare. We don't do this. This has uh, been oh, okay. such a okay. good conversation, Lynn. Uh, oh, my goodness. Good. Yeah. And I'm so grateful good. that you wanted to share this. I know. It's a yeah. vulnerable thing to share this experience, and, and certainly. I was more. I was, yeah, go yeah, ahead. I was more worried about you guys because you're academics, and I, I, <laughs> I was like, can I talk their talk? <laughs> <laughs> we're academics with a podcast. We're not that serious, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, but this has been fantastic. Uh, so uh, enlightening, I think. I think it's going to be great for folks to hear this. Awesome. Um, Good. My name Good. is Dr. Rob C. Thompson, joined by Luke Kinneman, producer of Discordia. Luke, say goodbye to the good people. Bye, good people. <laughs> goodbye, good people. <laughs> Thanking Lynn Short for this uh, this episode here on A Call Confessions.